0: Welcome to the City Light Podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online at citylightchurch.com. Today, we're continuing our series called The Gift. In the Christmas story, the wise men bring Jesus, three gifts, and these gifts have great insight into who Jesus is and how we can relate to him today. Thank you for spending time with us today, And we hope you enjoy the message from our series, The Gift. Awesome. Well, we are in our week two of our Christmas series called The Gift. And and what we're doing in here is we're looking at the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus on the day that that we celebrate this Christmas experience. And, And I was thinking about this, you know, how many of you, you know, when you think about the Christmas moment, you know, the, the manger scene. How many of you, you know, you've, you've got, you know, a little barn or something in your mind that you, maybe you have a, a manger scene even at home that you have set up? Or, or maybe you have, you know, you think about it, you got some the wise men who are in these, you know, flowing robes, long beards, you know, or something very wise. And maybe there's some farm animals present in the manger scene you know and and maybe there's some shepherds represented there as well you know and then you know if you have a little nativity at home or maybe your grandma has one or something you know you have like maybe an angel at the top of the barn or something that's just maybe up there just giving praise to God and and then you've got little baby Jesus you know down in the center uh, with mom and dad around him and for whatever reason sometimes he's glowing because there's a little light underneath of him sometimes or whatever your nativity may look like. And, uh, and I was thinking about, you know, the whole nativity scene and, and looking like that. You know, the truth is, you know, we, we, we said this last week, but we, we don't know if there was three wise men or not. We don't know that. The scriptures doesn't say that. There was three gifts, but they're more than likely, most biblical scholars believe that the wise men probably, there was probably dozens of them that actually came and, and worshiped him. The other thing that kind of, kind of, messes with my visual of the Christmas scene is that most biblical scholars also believe that by the time the wise men actually got there to Jesus, he was probably a year to maybe 18 months old. I don't know about you, but that kind of wrecks my like little baby Jesus moment in the manger like that I've grown up with. Like that kind of just messes with my visual And I want you to think about this for a moment. The wise men, they came and they bowed down and they worshiped Jesus, but he was probably a toddler. I don't know if any of you have ever had a toddler before. I don't know if any of you have ever been around a toddler before, but you begin to think about that visual. Like when I, before I had kids, I used to judge parents at restaurants who when their kids were going crazy. I would be at a restaurant, you know, and maybe there'd be a family and a kid, toddler, a kid was going screaming and going crazy and banging on the table. And I used to always say, oh, my kids will never act like that. Anybody ever say that? Come on, be honest, you're in church. I would say, I, my kids will never act like that. Oh no and then I had a toddler, and then I realized, oh my goodness, uh, what the work they are, and, and I realized something when I had a toddler. And, and that is, you never negotiate with terrorists. You just never do. So, you, did, so, you know, whatever, you know when, you bec- when you get a toddler, you become the worst parent. You're like, at a restaurant, you're like, here, take my iPhone. Take my iPad. Here, you want ice cream? Just stop. Just be quiet. You want a pony? That's fine. Here you go. Whatever you you want, it's yours. Just stop being crazy. Like, you become the worst parent, in my opinion, when you have a toddler. So to think about that the wise men came and they bowed down to a toddler kind of wrecks my little Christmas image that I have in my head. But at the same time, these wise men came. And they gave gifts to Jesus that were kind of different than what we would give today, but they had great significant value. And at the same time, they were very symbolic into who Jesus would become in this world and in our lives. In Matthew chapter two, it says this, it says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that's what we're talking about. Unusual gifts to give a toddler, a new family, of a you know, new child. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, they were very symbolic in who Jesus would be. Gold actually represents his kingship as the king of kings and Lord of lords. Gold was very significant in value just like it is today, but they were basically giving this to him saying, you are the king of kings, you're the Lord of lords. This represents your kingship that you will have on the earth and in the universe, That's, that's who you are. Frankincense, which we talked about last week, symbolizes Jesus as the great high priest, our high priest. Who, who literally uh, goes to the Father for us, intercedes, prays for us, went through everything you and I go through yet never sinned. And now because of that, we can go to him boldly, the Bible says, and he gets it. He understands what we're going through. And he's praying for us daily that he is our great high priest. But today we're talking about the gift of myrrh. And, and myrrh is not something that I think a lot of people know a lot about. It's one of those things that you're like, go for frankincense and myrrh, what's myrrh? I don't know, who cares, it's it's part of the story. But myrrh actually was a very valuable gum-like substance and it's actually used about 17 times in the Bible. Occasionally, myrrh was uh, used as an antiseptic. Uh, For example, when Jesus was on the cross, they offered him a wine mixed with myrrh substance to help dull the pain but Jesus refused that because he wanted to take the full brunt of of the pain for our sins. Uh, But more commonly though, myrrh was used to embalm the dead. So so the wise men gave this this newborn baby, this this family, a gift that was very commonly used to embalm the dead. That's kind of an unusual gift. I don't know if you've ever had an unusual gift given to you at a birthday or Christmas, but if for you to get something that's an embalming thing, I, you might return that one to the store, I don't know. Do you have a gift receipt with this? Maybe, I, I don't know. But it's interesting because this was very symbolic and most biblical scholars believe that the gift of myrrh was symbolizing that Jesus was would one day be the suffering servant, the lamb of God who was born to die to take away the sins of the world. That that's what myrrh represents. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at an Old Testament passage that really begins to break down Jesus as the Lamb of God, this suffering servant that we can go to now today, and why that is important for us today. And then I want to, uh, but I want to ask you a question real quick. How many of you in this place today? How many of you are, let me say, a football fan? You like football, even though. We're in Michigan right now, a couple of you are at home, you can just raise your hand at home right now, nobody's around you, it's okay. I'm a big football fan, if, if you know me, but unfortunately, I'm a Detroit Lions fan, so I may need counseling, I'm unsure, but um, thankfully, I got an early Christmas present, if you're a Lions fan, that for Christmas, we're getting a new general manager and coach, and so all God's people said, amen, all right, I was excited about that. But think about this for a second. Imagine with me for a moment if I was able to predict the the two teams that would be in this year's Super Bowl. You may say, wow, that was was pretty lucky. Good guess, Pastor. That was great. What if I was able to guess and predict the two teams that would be in there and the exact score that each team would actually score points on? you would say, wow, that's very, very lucky. That's interesting. But imagine with me for a moment, if I was able to predict the the Super Bowl, the two teams that would be in there, the final score 700 years from today. If I was able to do that, you may say, wow, that is different. You, that is like a prophet like no other, that's, that's amazing. If you were a gambler, you might wanna hang out with me. I mean, you would say, wow, that's pretty interesting. That's, that's like a prophet like no other. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, that's basically what happens. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was ever born, had a vision, had a revelation of the suffering servant, Lamb of God, of the Messiah, of Jesus. And he wrote it down in Isaiah 53, and it begins to break down this whole understanding of why Jesus came, why he suffered, and why we can relate to him even today. But first, before I get into that, there's a problem. There's a big problem. We all have a big problem, and Isaiah begins to tell us about that. In Isaiah 53, verse six, he says this, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have all left God's paths to follow our own. It's interesting because Isaiah calls all of us, you, me, everybody, a bunch of stinky, smelly, stubborn sheep. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on, somebody, like, that, thanks, Isaiah. I really needed that today. I'm already dealing with self-esteem issues. Okay, great. And Isaiah says, listen, that's, that's what we're like. Now, if he would have said, you know, all of us are like lions, not Detroit lions, but like lions, that would be a compliment maybe. You're like, okay, a lion's a strong animal. Okay, I like that. Even if he said like, you know, all of us are like eagles. Like that's even a good one. I mean, there's a football team in the Eagles too. Come on, it's a football sermon. It's like that, that might even be a compliment as well. But when Isaiah calls all of us sheep, he is not complimenting us. He's essentially saying, we are not the brightest crayon in the box. We've got some issues in our life. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a sheep at a circus. I've never seen a sheep, you know, doing tricks. And, and not, People have pet sheep that are sit, roll over, shake hands, speak. I mean, have you ever heard a sheep speak? It is scary. It's just, just, go on YouTube and just watch it. It's just, you know, scary to death but sheep are are, are are really known for three things they're known for basically uh, being weak being witless and they and they're being and they're wayward so number 1 if you're taking notes today if you're at home you can jot this down sheep are weak they're absolutely weak they're they're defenseless if a coyote came and tried to attack a sheep the, the sheep has no claws it has no defense mechanism it has no, you know, and it can't like blend in and have camouflage in the woods. It, it's not very fast. It can't run away. It is a sitting duck, but it's a sheep. Like it's, it's defenseless. That's what a sheep is. And then number two, sheeps are, they're witless. They're absolutely dumb animals. I'm sorry. They are. They tend to follow the crowd a lot. If one sheep does something dumb, the rest of the sheep will follow suit. A True story, back in 2005, uh, in the country of Turkey, 1,500 sheep followed another sheep off a cliff because, and, and they just kept falling right off this cliff. I mean, I would think by like the 10th, maybe 15th sheep, maybe they, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe we should stop. But they just kept falling off this cliff. Cliff, the funny thing is, Only 400 of them died because because the 400 made a huge, big pillow for the rest of the 1100. That's actually not a joke. It's a true story. You can Google it as well. The 1100 actually survived. It's so funny. But anyway, so when Isaiah calls us a sheep, it's not a compliment. We have this problem. But sheep also, number three, they're, they're also wayward. They're wayward. They wander. When we were in Israel, I remember seeing sheep all the time everywhere on the mountainside, not with the crowd, not sometimes with their herd, I should say. They're just wandering away, just eating grass and following wherever the grass goes. They just kind of go their own way. And when Isaiah says, hey, we're, we're like sheep, it's because we all have a propensity to kind of forget what maybe the Lord has for our life and follow what we want for our life. We begin to fall away from, from God's plans. Look what Isaiah says. Let's look at that scripture again. Isaiah 53 says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. That's our problem. But I love what Jesus does. He goes, we have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him, that's Jesus, the sins of all of us. So even though we have this propensity to, to to wander away, even though that we're all like this at times in our lives, Jesus still came to this earth that bore all of our sins because he knew we had a problem. He knew we would wander. He knew we would struggle in life. And God still sent his one and only son to come to this earth for us, that we may have forgiveness of sins and a place in heaven. Now remember, Isaiah is saying this 700 years before Jesus came. Verse 7, he says this, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Earlier in that chapter, verse 3, it says this, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He turned, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows weighed on him. And he thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. See, that's what Jesus did for you and for me. And I love it because here's Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus would be born, has a vision that this innocent child would come, would be born, but he was born to die. He was born to take the brunt of our sin. And some people may say at times in their life, well, hey, okay, great. You know, it's Christmas, you know, we... The little baby Jesus in a manger, and what does that really have to do with my life today? And maybe it was a holy event, great, that's wonderful, but what does that have to do with my life today? Or maybe around the Easter time, you think about Jesus on the cross, and you're like, man, that's great and all, but what does that have to do with me today? I don't get it all. And here's what I wanted you to understand is that you have to understand the magnitude of his suffering and the depths of his love if you do that, you can't casually say, I'm a Christian. When you understand the magnitude of his suffering, when you understand the the great depths of his love, we can't just take a casual approach to what Jesus did for us. We can't just take a casual approach to him in our lives. The only reasonable response is to say, Jesus, because you've done so much, because of who you are and what you've done, and I return my whole life to you because of what you have done for me, because of what you bore for me, and I give you everything. And I'm gonna to try to describe this the best way I can this morning, um, but it's never gonna do justice. You know, on the night that Jesus was actually betrayed, he was in a garden praying. He, he was praying in, in the garden of Gethsemane. And this is where Jesus was kind of wrestling with God because he began to get a glimpse of the suffering that was to come. He had his disciples with him. And, and, and he says, hey guys, you know, hey, hang out here and pray. And, and, and I'm gonna go a little bit further and, and keep praying. But his disciples fell asleep. And he's all alone and he's praying and he's crying out to God. And scripture says that as he was crying and praying out to God, the anxiety and the stress and the weight of the moment was so unbearable and so much that literally he began to sweat drops of blood. There's actually a medical term for it where his brain and and things began to hemorrhage where the stress and anxiety of the moment was so much that he was bleeding because of the suffering that was ahead of him. And, And he kept praying, God, he goes, would you take this cup from me? In other words, he's saying, God, is there any other way we can do this? I I see the suffering that's before me. There's a lot ahead of me. I don't know if I can take it. Is is there any other way we could do this? And at the same time, he says, wait, but you know what? Not my will, but your will be done, Father. I'm here for you. I'm here to finish the work. I'm here to do whatever it takes to bring humanity back into reconciliation with the Father. Uh, I'm here. Suffer, I'm here to to bore the weight of the sins of humanity. So not my will, but your will be done. And then soon one of his own disciples came. Judas came and betrayed him. A close friend betrayed him. He was arrested and then taken in. And this is where they began to mock him and put on trial unfairly. He was in a trial that was an unjust trial. And they were convicted him to death by crucifixion. And it's interesting too, because after that, you know, they started to, to really begin to beat on him and they took a crown of thorns. And the, the historians believe that this crown actually probably had one to two inches long of thorns that they would jam on his head and into his brow. And then after that, the beating continued to happen and they, they had the most sadistic weapons of the day in the Roman culture. And they began to beat him repeatedly over and over and over again. Isaiah even implies that they would pull out his beard and that he was unrecognizable because the beating was that great. It was that intense. And then they gave him a a bar to carry, a kind of a cross, about 100 pounds, theologians believe. And then he had to carry this about 650 yards on a path known as the way of suffering. To be crucified on that very cross. Then they would take uh, some nails. Most theologians believe they were about seven to nine inches long. And they would put them in his wrists and in his feet. And then they propped up the cross. And he would hang there, probably naked, bloody, unrecognizable. And as just to get a breath. Most people believe that he would have to have pulled himself up by his wrists just to get a breath in that moment. It Wouldn't have been long before, I'm sure his shoulder would have been dislocated, his his strength in his legs would have given out. And at this time, the soldiers began to mock him would gamble for his garments the creation was mocking the creator. And as he's up there, see, he's enduring all of this pain, but that was really only the beginning. The most painful part was when the innocent one, when he really began to take on the sins of the world. He became everything that, that we hate about ourselves. He became every vile, every filthy, Every sin, He became that for us on that cross that day. And God the Father, in His holiness and in His righteousness, couldn't even look at His Son because the sin was so great, the filth was so great. And God is so holy, He said, I can't even look upon my Son in this moment. And, and, and he, Jesus begins to experience the separation that sin brings between humanity and God. He, he experiences that and he cries out, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he experiences what sin does to us. It separates us from God. It puts a, a distance in between us. And then they offered him this wine mixed with myrrh the very same thing they would use at his burial. And he says, I don't want that, I'm not gonna take it. I don't wanna numb the pain, I wanna experience the full brunt and the weight of the sins of humanity in this moment. He gave his life for our sins. And he declares in that moment, by faith, he says, it, is finished into my hands I commend your spirit and in that moment the suffering servant, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world he did what he came to do and the prophet Isaiah 700 years before this moment took place, prophetically declared that a child, an innocent one born of a virgin who never sinned would endure all of this for our behalf. Isaiah fifty three eight says this: unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants; that his life was cut short in midstream. But he struck down. For, he but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. How did Isaiah know 700 years before this that a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man would give his grave, his tomb to Jesus? How did Isaiah know that? It's amazing. Verse 11, it says this, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins." And that's what Jesus did for us. Think about that for a moment. It's more than a Christmas story. It's more than a little baby in a manger. He came to die for you and for me. He came that we might truly, truly live. People ask me all the time, Pastor, what's what's different about Christianity than all other religions? Why why is Christianity so different? I mean, there's so many religions. Don't they all basically say the same thing? Don't they all ba- aren't they all basically pointing to the same direction? I say absolutely not. When you look at each religion, they all say something very very different. But for me, the thing that I see, and I point out all the time what makes Christianity stand out. That's different than Islam, Buddhism. That stands out. That's different than being a New Age person and all these other things that's going on. What sets it apart is a, the bloody, the bloody death of an innocent victim. That's what's different. That that, that Jesus became. That God became. Jesus that and God in the flesh came to this earth so that we may have light. It's the only religion where God actually comes down to humanity. Every other religion, it's like, how do I get to God? How do I how do I reach you know certain nirvana? How do I reach this certain plateau? And God says they can never reach that. They can never be good enough. They can never account for their sins. So I'm gonna go down to them and make a payment for them so that they can truly be free. See, it all goes back to to the Old Testament. And a lot of us know the story when the the story of Egypt, when the Israelites are in Egypt and and Pharaoh's got God's people in captivity. And and he's like, okay, you know, the the people are like, you know, let my people go. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and all this stuff. And, And God sends all these plagues and all these crazy things. And the final plague is that God sends death over the land of Egypt. And he says, but here's the deal. If you take an innocent lamb, and you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorpost of your home, death will pass over you. It'll pa- it won't affect your home. And now because of the blood of the innocent lamb of Jesus Christ, we can tr- death and sin passes over us, we can find forgiveness of everything we've done. We can find new hope in everything he's given us and we can truly live and and understand that, man, that is why he came. He is the suffering servant, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion, is that God would become flesh. He would be pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so that we could be made whole. And by the stripes on his back, we could be healed. That's why Jesus came. So when you visualize it, the wise men, they offer this embalming substance to this family, the newborn baby. You understand that God was foreshadowing what was to come, that the lamb of God would be slain for the sins of the world. Jesus even prophesied this about himself. In Luke chapter nine, he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he must be killed and on the third day, be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. See, when you understand the the suffering that Jesus endured for you and for me, We can't just take a casual approach to our faith. We can't just say, oh, it's a hobby. It's something I do on the weekends. You know, I don't know what else to do. I'm bored, so I'll go to church. I'll turn on the live stream. Like when you begin to understand the weight and the magnitude of what he did for you and for me, we can't just take a a casual approach to it. Like he endured all of this for you and for me. He endured all of our lies, all of our hypocrisy, all of our judgmental spirit, all of our greed, all of our anger, all of our unforgiveness, all of our wicked hearts, you name it. He endured it all for us. And God sent these wise men, maybe to a toddler to give him the gifts, gold. You're the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. Frankincense, you are the the high priest. We can come to you boldly and you understand because you walked on this earth and myrrh, you came to die so that we might live. I don't know about you, but when I understand that, I can't just take a casual approach. My only response is to give him everything, to give him every area of my life. I don't do it because that's the right thing to do. I don't do it because I'm a pastor and it would look bad if I didn't. I do it because of who he is and what he did. So I wanna encourage you today, no matter where you're at in your walk and your journey with God, realize that he came for you Realize that He came, that you may live. Realize that He came so you don't have to be bound by the things of your past, the things that have hurt you, the things that have that you hate about yourself, the insecurities, the anxieties, the, 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 the problems that maybe you don't even tell anybody about, the things that you're going go, why did I do that? Oh, I just hate that about myself. He came. You don't have to live that way, but you can give him everything. And when you give him everything, that's when you experience true change. That's when you experience the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He loves you so much, church. I mean, think about that depth of love. Our only response is to give him everything. If you could stand today as we close this message, that would be amazing. If we could bow our heads just for a moment as we pray and talk to the Lord. Father, I just thank you for today. God, I thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. Father, I. We've all blown it, we've all made so many mistakes in our lives. And God, I think that even though we have a problem, we wander. God, you still sent Jesus knowing that we would wander, knowing that we would make mistakes. And you sent your one and only son Father, I pray today for anybody here that's maybe struggling with something in their past. Maybe they're struggling with something about themselves that they just hate. Maybe it's something that they haven't told anybody about. Father, I pray in this moment, they would come to you, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords the high priest, the Lamb of God. And Father, they would offer their lives wholly and completely to you again. Take every part of us in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eye closed as we continue to pray. If you're here today and maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you're watching online and you found this on Facebook or YouTube or somewhere and Somebody shared it and you're watching and maybe you never realized what Christmas is really all about. I know it's kind of the Easter story today, but that's why he came. He came to die for you. Maybe you've never realized all that he went through for you. And when you begin to understand the magnitude of that, maybe something's changing inside of you and you're ready to surrender your life to him. If that's you today, I would love to count you in on a prayer that I'm about to pray where you can begin to give your life to Jesus, surrender your life, and start a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords, the high priest. If you're here today or you're watching online and maybe you would say, Pastor, you know what? I believe in God. I grew up in the church. so in on this prayer as well so what i'm going to do is on the count of three i'm going to ask you to slip your hand up if you're here live with us pastor that's me would you count me in on this prayer Um, at the same time if you're at home watching online uh, one of your online hosts will be posting a button or a link that you can hit and just say i want to give my life to jesus today but here's the deal i'm not going to call you down the front not going to embarrass you i don't do anything like that i just want to know who i'm praying for today so here we go on the count of three if that's you Just say, count me in on this prayer, Pastor. One, two, three. Go ahead, slip your hand up across this room. Thank you, thank you. If you're at home right now, just hit that button. Say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna rededicate to him, I wanna go all in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If we could all say this prayer for those who are maybe praying it for the very first time, just say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth for me, Thank you for wanting a relationship with me. Jesus, I've been living my life my own way, but today I completely surrender to you. Forgive me of my sins and be the Lord of my life from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Come on, City like Church, just put our hands together for people making that decision today. That's so awesome. Hey, if you made that decision today, we would love to be a church that walks with you through your next steps. As you saw in our weekly What's Up, we're all about next steps here at our church. We all have a next step. It doesn't matter if you have been a Christian for five seconds or you've been a Christian for 500 years. It doesn't matter. We all, well, maybe not 500 years. That was exaggeration, but you understand. Uh, we, we all have a next step in our walk with God. And we want to be a church that helps you with that. So we have amazing things available for you. If you're here live, love you to stop by our Next Step table in the lobby. If you're at home watching online, one of our hosts will post a link to help you connect to your Next Steps as well. We love you, church. We thank you so much for joining us today. If you're here live with us, what we're going to do is we're going to call our prayer team up to the front. If you need prayer today, they're available. But we're going to dismiss from the back rows all the way to the front. So just wait till the person and the rose behind you is gone and then you can leave so we can minimize our physical social distancing thing. Uh, But we love you so much, thanks for being here today. Hope to see you next week as we celebrate our Christmas service. It's gonna be a good one, don't miss it.